welcome to the Beginning by Thinking show. Uh, first of all, apologies for my awful upload schedule. It's been very random and uh, I've sort of taken like two weeks off, so I'm going to try and solve that. I, I honestly think it's just quarantine getting the best of me at the minute. Um, but that will all be sorted out. Uh, today we have an interview with Craig Lewis, and he's a very interesting character, but there are a few sort of words of warning I'd like to uh, give out before we actually get into this recording. Uh, first of all, the audio quality isn't great, um, and that's because he lives in a, well, he lives in a mountain in Mexico. He's basically a James Bond villain. Um, but it really was a fascinating conversation. And I know that there'll be a, a giant handful of you who won't listen to all of it. And I do urge you to listen to it all. Um, but if you don't have the time to, I completely understand. That's why what I'm going to do is I'm going to upload a bonus podcast as well. Um, and I'm going to make a almost like a highlight reel of the interview. Sort of a nice, compact, like 10-minute uh, podcast where um, you can listen to the the, the interesting story of his life. Um, what's so fascinating about this guy is he's he's pretty much lived his whole life being an alien. Um, he's endured immense trauma, um, and only in the past five years, his life has sort of exploded like a cannon of living. Um, and he's actually written books about his experience and how to cope with trauma. And I've got a uh, little list written down of of what he wants me to promote. So he's um, he's the author of the Better Days Workbook and the Craig Lewis Guide to Surviving the Impossible. And if you want to get in contact with Craig Lewis, um, the email is punksinrecovery at gmail.com. One more piece of discretion I'd like to add is the views that he put forward aren't necessarily my own views. What I like to do is with this interview, I sort of wanted to take a step back on me giving my opinion. Um, there's so many other podcast episodes you can listen to if you want my opinion on things. This is him um, explaining his story and me sort of guiding him to the, the points of interest, I guess. Uh, so, um, I, I, yeah, like I said, I just took a step back on giving my opinion. I think that's it. Um, I'll see you at the end of the interview, I guess. Stay safe, everyone. Hello and welcome to the Beginning by Thinking show. Today we have an interview. It just so happens this interview I'm very much looking forward to. Joining me today is Craig Lewis. He's a punk rock rocker since 1988. He's also an author of a mental health booklet that's currently available in 10 languages. He's also a motivational speaker, and there's many other listed accomplishments, but I'm going to save them for the interview. So, Craig, thank you very much for uh, coming on my show. Thank you. I like thinking, and we have to start somewhere. Well, yeah, it's definitely a, <laughs> definitely a good place to begin, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So with this Thanks interview, I, I, I kind of want to um, iron out some of my thoughts. I think there's going to be some things that we uh, agree on and disagree on. We both have the same motivations of wishing to help people. Um, but I reckon when it comes to trauma, I think I take more of a uh, Nietzschean point of view than um, a uh, sort of relaxed, let it go type thing. Do you know what I mean? Well, I know that he who has a why will find a how so mm. okay so i'm gonna jump straight into this uh this trauma topic then because it's kind of the uh the the main part of this for me is uh looking at how to uh, deal with trauma and the best way to process things so in your own words how would you say is the best way to deal with trauma itself every single person in the world is unique and every single person in the world has had a lifetime of experiences that have affected them, which then, when they're dealing with trauma, affects how they deal with the trauma. So there's really no way that I can answer a question specifically about mm. everyone. 
one of the best ways to deal with trauma. Now, every single person in the world has experienced something that's been deeply devastating in their life. A trauma, what trauma is, is, is something that happens to you, that affects you, that's hard for you, that's painful for you, painful for you, that's devastating. It doesn't necessarily have to be some horrific, violent, vile thing that many of us have experienced, but not all of us. But nevertheless, the person who sat by their, their, their pet being put to sleep, their, their lifelong love, their animal, and had to go through that loss, watch the animal suffer, leave the, the veterinarian's office without their animal, or having it had be gone, that's trauma. So every single person in the world knows something about this loss. They know something about this pain. So when I'm going to try to answer a question about what's the best way to deal with trauma, I have to preface it by like validating that all human beings know something about this, maybe just to different degrees. So my answer is, my answer is, <sighs> that there really isn't an answer. That every single person is mm. going to have a different reaction in some way, and that what works for one person is not going to work for another. Have you ever heard of a man called Friedrich Nietzsche? Yes. Yeah. So he's got some very famous quotes, right? Probably his most notable is, what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. Yes. Now, and, wait, excuse me, the quote I responded to you when, you, when we began, I said, he who has a, a why will find almost any how. That is also Nietzsche. Oh, that's a Nietzsche quote. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So maybe so, there's, uh, there's less differences than I That's what I was talking about. I got you there. Oh, yeah, nice. Yeah, well we're, we're, we're on the same page. I, I, I didn't know if you caught me when I said that, but yeah, yeah, that, that was the Nietzsche. I, I haven't heard that quote myself before, but yeah, I could, it sounds like quite a Nietzschean thing to say. Um, <laughs> so do you believe riding the wave out of trauma is the way to go? Or do you think just leave the wave itself? Do you think... Once you, once you punch the monster in its face, you're the winner and you've gained strength uh, through that experience itself. Both maybe. Both maybe. You know, because I kick ass, right? I'm kicking ass in life, but yeah. I'm, also suffer I'm also suffering. Like that it would not be honest of me to sit with you right here and not have you be aware whether it's by my like how I'm communicating which is probably fine but I should let you know what's going on inside me that I'm dealing with such degrees of trauma and things from my past these are things from my past I'm sitting here in a paradise type of, type of place in a mountain beautiful it's warm and I got the shit inside my head or the stuff inside my head and it's affecting me now did I kick its ass absolutely did it still bother me a lot yes so I'd like to just go on record by saying every single day I'm going to do all that I can to get through it. If I get through it without causing harm to myself or more harm than usual, then I'm going forward in a positive, healthy, you know, beneficial way. But if I, if I don't stop myself and I let myself fall prey to it, maybe one day is going to be gone to the wayside. I can just start the next day or two. But if I don't address it, when it comes up, even though it's from years ago, it'll come up again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And that mm. is the nature of it. Whether I cope with it like in every possible best way or not, it will happen again. It, it's going to come up again. And I'm so going to deal with it again. What I'm gathering is, is trauma becomes more of a, a part of your being that you can't ever get rid of fully, but you have to deal with it in small segments, right? Well, if you were in a car accident as a passenger when you were seven years old, and you remember it vividly, and all the things that happened during that accident, maybe someone got really hurt, maybe you saw horrible things, the shock of it, you're seven years old, now you're a young man, that is always going to be part of your history. It doesn't mean it's part of you, but it's something that you experienced and something that affected you. And because it affected you, 
perhaps throughout your life from time to time, say you're driving somewhere and you see an accident, before you even recognize that you're having this thing happen in your head, you're starting to think of them old. Now, does that mean it's within you forever? Meaning like it's part of your everything? Some people will say yes, but if that's the case, then how do you ever get rid of it? And the other way to look at it is if it just comes up from time to time because you were made aware of it because something happened, something happened that brought it up for you, and then it comes out, is that different? Like, is it always within you, or is it something that, like, just lives out in the world, and certain things happen, and it comes out? Like, what's your opinion on that? Like, what do you think? Because there's, there's two different ways to think about that. Mm, well, if, if you're asking my opinion, then I'm, I tend to side with the opinion of what a clinical psychologist would like. Trauma has to be a composition of uh, chemical compounds in the brain. And the only way to deal with them is either by medical adjustment or um, a, a, maybe a metaphysical experience, like some kind of religious uh, enlightenment, maybe for some people. Um, it could be a, a merely psychological enlightenment. Um, but, but I do strongly believe that once you've ridden the wave of trauma, you become a much more powerful person. I'm in agreement with your final statement. Once you've ridden the wave, as you're describing it, you do indeed become a much more powerful person. Mm. With that said, the most powerful people on earth who have experienced the most horrific of things, sometimes when they're alone in private, they think things, they do things that the people who look to them to say these people are like like the cream of the crop of like people dealing with their stuff. Yeah, of course. That they think things and do things that they wouldn't want anyone to know. Yeah. Because they're still so fragile at those certain particular moments. Mm. Sort of a, like an the, Achilles yeah. heel type thing. Yeah, but not in the context of a weakness, in the context of sometimes things happen and then you, you deal with it and your life goes on because yeah. you spend well, your, uh, years I, of I'm, your life learning how. I'm referring to the fragile moments that, that some people would have as the uh, Achilles heel yeah. of... Uh, somebody like you give an example of a great leader who may have seen some horrific things and in their own time they might have to digest those horrific things and that then becomes their one weakness that that's maybe somebody could take advantage of you know um i have i have what i describe as my kryptonite mm. i'm not going to say it here because why would i oh well, yeah <laughs> but i'm already giving away yeah your... but it's already given away. I didn't. I didn't get to the place I'm at without my kryptonite being exposed. Mm. Um, so, uh, but I do have it. And in fact, that's what. That's why I was late to our meeting today because it was bothering me. Something happened. I just was like, mm. I had to take time to like calm myself because that kryptonite is real, man. Yeah, life throws up some pretty horrific things sometimes. Um, one thing I'd like to talk to you about is mm -hmm. I'd like to um, expose my listeners uh, and expose myself to, to a bit more of your story. Um, okay. Starting with the very beginning. Starting with the very beginning. Yeah. Of what happened to me. Yeah. Cool. I'm from a family that's Jewish. My parents were born in the early 1940s in the United States on the East Coast. Everyone knows what was going on in Europe during the early 1940s. Hmm. My grandmothers raised my parents from you know, when they were born onward. And grandmothers or mothers, mothers if you will, when they hear about what's going on, killing, genocide, yeah. murder, horrific things, well, you don't tell your two-year-old two kid about this stuff, because why would you? 
Mm. How can you even start if you're just hearing it on the new, uh, on the on the radio or reading it in the paper? That's all you know. You're gonna tell your little kid about it? No. My grandmothers did not tell my parents what was happening in Europe. But the shock, the the the, the T E R R O R, the the pain, the the, the feelings of devaluation and degradation that anyone can come and get you. And you could just be in a pit, dead, gone, and no one's going to stop it. I know people did attempt to help, with not just 6 million Jews, but 12 million people got killed, not even including soldiers fighting yeah. for whatever side. Massive, this is just wrong. But my grandmothers listened to the, the radio, read the paper. What happens when you take in horrific information? What happens when you take in traumatizing news and you don't get to talk about it? It comes out in your actions, in your behaviors, in your words, without any doubt on my mind. Mm. My parents grew up in their households with these mothers, my grandmothers, who abused them emotionally and in other ways. Emotional abuse from a child from that young age. My parents weren't aware for years and years after the end of World War II what the Holocaust was. It was information that was kept from them. I understand that people don't know how to deal with stuff like this. No real precedent, right? But they grew up in these environments that were abusive, emotionally, mentally abusive, and love wasn't a thing. Love was not a... They don't know what love is. My parents don't know what love is. Yeah. And so I was born in 1973. To parents who, I'm certain, I'm certain they wanted to have a loving family. Mm. Create. You know, most parents don't conspire to hurt their children. They don't. No. But my parents spawned me. I don't. I don't have. I forgive them, but I don't. I don't speak of them in in the, the nicest terms always. But that's okay. I, I wish they could be in my life if they had it within them to realize that their kid wants them in their life while they're still alive. But when I say things like spawn, it's because I keep thinking about the word spawn because it has this like not particularly nice connotation in English. So I, I say that because they did hurt me and I'm dealing with their hurt. So I'm going to say it again. When my yeah. parents spawned me, or AKA had me in 1973, they were not prepared to be parents. They certainly did not know what it meant to love. By the time I was seven, they had me beginning to see psychiatrists and psychologists. By the time I was 14, they went through a whole series of psychiatrists and psychologists, all of whom went, all of whom told my parents that my parents needed mental health care, that I was, either son was reacting to their behavior in the home, that they needed help. By the time it was 1988, I was 14, they found somebody to buy into their story. They had me locked up April 13th, 1988. And I got off the bus April 30th, 2015. Tomorrow is my five-year anniversary of being medication-free. Well done. Thank you. I had to fight. Yeah, that must system. be a very challenging battle. Well, I don't live in the United States anymore. Yeah, I had to leave my my home country because of it, and for other reasons. So, are you, are you willing? Are you willing to share those other reasons? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, certainly. Um, but just to give you like a real uh, snapshot, fourteen years old, locked away, fraudulent diagnosis documented in writing that they all knew the system knew the psychiatrist knew they knew the social workers knew that i was being victimized i'm not normal like i'm a fuck can i swear i don't think i even swear on your show i don't know no I'm of course a, bro it's an explicit show swear as much as you like i'm a fucked up person because of what happened to me okay hmm. like i'm not gonna be normal i'm not gonna meet people's like expectations of mental health worker or author, a violated person who struggles with his life to be okay. The fact that I'm successful after all I survived is a miracle. 
and and the things that happened to me are, are horrific. And so there's no like no one's gonna come out of what I went through like just fine. But mm. not, I'm not everyone's cup of tea. So like I know that it's cool. Um, but the what you get from me is like the raw embodiment of what I've. I guess I want to say for the most part what I've done to be okay. But sometimes I come across a little intense or harsh. Believe me, I'm, I'm 46 years old and May 24th coming up soon. I've, I've lived it and I've lost it and I've loved it and I've lost it a hundred times. Mm. Everyone knows I'm some sort of crazy person. I'm not going to try to, you know, like sugarcoat reality. But what I also am is as a result of all my experiences, as a result of the sexual humiliation, as a result of having 28 years of my life taken from me with a fake, fraudulent, paid-for psychiatric diagnosis. The fact that I had that plastic surgery to remove the damage, to fix the damage of the sexual abuse as a teenager. The fact that like, I had all these diagnoses connected to my name and all my behavior, my behavior stuff. Craig's acting weird, Craig's creepy, all this nonsense. But however, for the people who experienced me and messed up ways, that's what they experienced. If I had to live in this like strange, like dual reality, in which I know there's a reason why I was acting all sorts of strange ways. I know why people had bad experiences with me. And I have to also understand that those were their actual experiences with me. The people who knew me all these years, they actually did indeed experience me in fucked up ways. But they experienced somebody who was trying to heal from severe abuse in, in, in a way that you can only see how they act and how they speak. Not what's going on in here. I had to process out 28 years of toxic chemicals that were given to me, 40 different drugs of all sorts to, to treat all sorts of nonsense like schizophrenia and bipolar, all, all of this crap. When in reality, they wrote in 1988, this kid's being abused. He doesn't have these symptoms. He doesn't need psychiatric treatment. His parents are sick. There's a problem. They're threatening the psychiatrist to doctor the medical files, change them so he can be diagnosed. They're stopping people from advocating for their son who are trying to help him because they can use legal means. They're spending millions of dollars to do so. Manipulating a system, threatening people. And so here I am, 2020, one day before my five-year uh, anniversary of no longer taking these pills and I am the embodiment of, of trauma recovery I am the embodiment of surviving the impossible I have survived something that almost no one else in the world has and so that right there 28 years of my life my friend where for a long period of that time my, my, my uh, sexual organs weren't working for a period of that time I had breasts like a girl I had to have surgery Mosquitoes wouldn't bite me. And now you know what I have to do? Because the mosquitoes now find me so delicious. When I go to bed here, right? I what I swear to God, I rub onion. <laughs> I raw onion on my body. Wow. So the mosquito because it repels mosquitoes. I just want to so, add, he just yeah. he just picked up a raw onion for the people. Nobody can see this video because it's going to be audio. He just literally picked up a raw onion. So yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and, and I cut I cut up, I cut up pieces of onion, and I I wet them like it says to do on the internet. They told this is how they tell you how to do it. Mm. I wet it. I put a little um, thing of raw onion next to my pillow. See, Not, I, 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 I go on. I wasn't woken up even once by mosquitoes last night. Oh, that's good. Yeah. See, what, what I'm what I'm gathering is, so I I like to think I can empathise with people, though I'm I, I've never experienced something you've experienced or anything similar to it. Uh, I, I like to think I could have some form of emp empathy towards it. So even when it comes down to the onions, is that such a minor victory that means so much to you? Yes. Mm. Because I didn't know what I was going to do mm. about the mosquitoes. I didn't know what I was going to do. Because I was like last all last week. I for those who don't know, I live in a mountain in the south of Mexico. Yeah, you're the a James Bond villain. <laughs> <laughs> well, it better be infamous than famous. 
Well, yeah, some <laughs> say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, last night there was a scorpion on my floor, like a scorpion that'll kill you if, I, if it catches you. Or, or uh, I don't know how you so, do it. Yeah, it was a. Oh, I got some photos for you, my friend. Crazy. <laughs> Uh, what I see in, this, in the past week, there's things I've done. I, these bugs are crazy. Um, yeah, huge victory. The, I slept right in my room with only the screen, the screen, the, the wind, the shades open because I got like the fresh air coming in. Mm. Um, just with the screens, and the screens don't even work well. Like you don't live in Mexico and have a bug-free home. Yeah, you're gonna have bugs in your home. It's the way it is. Mm. I've been eaten alive. Like all last week, I was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Like, I need to find a solution. So I bought an onion for two pesos from a woman on the street, which is literally seven cents maybe or six cents. I don't know. And then I rubbed it on my body and I wasn't bitten. Huge victory. Well done, man. Victory. Yes. Mm, I, I, one thing I do know about trauma, right, is minor victories tend to be the most satisfying ones. So I have a lot of them. Mm. And they're the no, most noticeable. And that's just one thing that I, I think I've just noticed there is, is the, the onions and mosquitoes. Since you've never been bitten by mosquitoes before and for your period of trauma, you were never bitten by mosquitoes. And now that there's such a radical change, it, well, it's not it's radical to you, but it's small to say someone like me. Yet you, you realize how much of a major victory that is for you. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny about this? Metaphorically, metaphorically, if the mosquitoes knew to not bite me because they found my blood, blood to be toxic without landing on me, they knew my blood to be toxic simply by being around me. <sighs> How do you think humans responded to me? Mm. I wasn't like really wanted by people mm. i never understood why i repelled people and i was always told it was because i was mentally ill and just take your pills craig well you know what i found out brother the pills caused me to be mentally ill yeah and unbeknownst to me why why'd you spell it out so ill much... just just a question because because why would I ever, here's why. It takes one person to have a disease. It takes one person to have cancer. It takes one person to have diabetes. It takes one person to have liver disease. It takes one person to have a heart condition. It takes one person to have a neurological condition. It takes two people of a mental you know, based on whatever criteria they think they know best to decide up using using that another person isn't okay now you heard my story mm. seven to twelve all these people tried to advocate for me every time i told my parents no 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 you need help your son's reacting they, they crushed those dialogues they pulled me out of those people's care until they found someone who would agree with them then they found someone who would agree with them they locked me up they locked me up, and then they locked me up, and the psychiatrist said, no, we don't agree with you. You're not okay. Your son's reacting to your, your, your treatment of him. This is inappropriate. So in all these years, right, I've been told I had schizophrenia. I had bipolar disorder, all this nonsense. Guess what? They knew from the beginning that was false, but I lived it. I identified at it as it. Before uh, I found out this was my story, because, hey, this is my story. I should be able to tell the story as I know it, but, but I didn't know. I yeah. actually didn't know that this happened to me until I found out when I obtained my medical documents from the state. Now, I, used to, I do this thing, right, where I travel the world and I give a talk called Punk Rock Mental Health and Recovery. Right? I'm answering mm -hmm. your question, by the way. It's called Punk Rock Mental Health and Recovery. Before I realized that something happened to me, something so despicable and wrong, where they forced this on me, and then I had the job of healing for what was done to me, right? I used to call my talk punk rock mental illness and recovery. Well, it took 
a second individual and many of them to to have that disease it wasn't me it was someone else's decision based on all sorts of things that no ethical doctor some people tried to help me and the, the law was on my parents side my father's a lawyer you know they knew how to the law was intended to help parents who love their kids get their kids the best help possible but that wasn't my parents uh, agenda even if they didn't realize that that's what their agenda was ultimately the reason why i don't want to say that word is because if anything i am the victim of very sick people and there is a there is a condition if you look it up in the diagnostic statistical manual the dsm calls currently titled factitious disorder imposed upon another which used mm. to be called munchausen munchausen syndrome by proxy now is they're going to diagnose somebody with munchausen's syndrome by proxy or as it's now known as factitious disorder imposed upon another that means the person who is being diagnosed with that condition is the parent cuz you need to be a parent to be diagnosed with that a parent or a caregiver in that in, in a familial way that is the way they will identify somebody as having that disorder me i was just the byproduct of my parents sickness and they could not tolerate their kid being okay being beautiful being smart being creative and 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 they whether they knew what they were doing or not i don't think they intended to hurt me i think they were desperate for people to not find out how sick and they were they did whatever they had to do and so that's why i was forced to the psychiatric system that's why my story is like it's like a movie it's a horror story mm. it's just like a psychological thriller mm. it is because only really sick people do what they did but so that means why would i ever want to use a word that was used to hurt me all these years when in fact it had nothing to do with me i was simply a kid and so now that my medical file thank the heavens that i had people who have integrity in my life to some degree thank goodness the the medical file now says schizophrenia debunked bipolar disorder debunked that doesn't happen unless you have a legitimate and provable situation like i do mm. so i'm not going to use that word to describe something that i know doesn't exist okay. do i think that all people out there in the world who have been hurt develop behaviors that are challenging and unwelcome in society yes when i use the word sick to describe the behavior of some people yes So you're not going to catch me using the word I L L or I L L N E S S to describe any other human being because they are not that. Well, isn't, the, isn't I L L and sick very similar? Yes, but I can own that I was sick. I was sick for different reasons. Sometimes I'm sick now, and if I was going to say I was sick, I would say I'm sick with trauma. I was sick with the results of what happened to me. Mm. Look man, like there are days when I sit here and don't talk to anybody. This whole uh pandemic thing is something new for me. Like I've been living in like a kind of isolated life for a long time. Mm. I'm actually happy that no one's bothering me. It's kind of good. I'm actually having a wonderful like uh, healing experience during these challenging times. I'm alone. Well, that that's that's strange to me because um you you very much seem like a spontaneous character. Um so I I have no clue as to why you you have these introverted qualities. Well, 28 years of being drugged and then getting off the pills and you asked me a minute ago when I talked about the, the other reasons that I ended up where I'm at. I'll tell you why. I'm going to answer your question this way. April 30th, 2015 was the last day I took those pills. Man, you can't go off psychiatric medication, especially like I was on. 
and not have some sort of neurological challenges. I mean, it's well known among survivors of these sort of abuses that um, the pills will hurt you for a long time. I mean, I was, so would you would you call yourself uh, and and not in the uh, I don't mean this in a rude sense at all. Let me just clarify. Would you call yourself a crazy person or an alien or or damaged goods or something? Well, um, it's funny. I, this is the time where you wish I had the, the video on for everyone to see. Look at my smile. Yes, document my smile. That's He's got I'm a on. giant teeth to teeth grin going on right now, everybody. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm absolutely crazy in the most gorgeous way. You're a crazy person then. In a most gorgeous way. Okay. Yeah. I love my life. I love who I am. I love that I survived. You know, I get to appreciate everything. Mm. I mean, I never had a life, you know, I never got to feel. Mosquitoes didn't bite me, which meant people didn't want to be around me. My whole world's revolutionized. Mm. People are want you, to be around me. Are you uh, overwhelmed by it all? Shh. <laughs> uh, yeah, let, let, let the record state that Mr. Lewis put up his finger in front of his mouth and said, shh. Yeah. Let's, let's clarify um, that. Yes, I'm overwhelmed by it. Mm. Thanks that for could, asking. That could explain the introverted qualities. Because I don't, I don't yeah, honestly well, believe you're an introvert. Huh? I, I, I believe you're extroverted. But yeah. these, these overwhelming aspects to life could be an explanation as to why you have these introverted qualities. You know, it's nice when you... Meet people who are uh, young and wise beyond their years. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you um, very much. You're welcome. Because you have to be a thinker to think about stuff like this. You have to care about other people. It takes a, a empathetic spirit and soul to try to understand something. But it also takes integrity and authenticity to say that you don't know. That like you want to empathize. I mean, come on, dude. For the whole world listening. James, thank you for uh, however you are and however you're becoming because we need people like you in the world to not only help people like me be understood, not only help people like me feel like we're cared about, but to then take that message and just the person you are and share it with people because that is really mm -hmm. what matters in this world to me. Thank just you very much, man. That means a lot. You're welcome. Yeah. I am absolutely a professional, a crazy person. I'm really good at it. <laughs> Yeah. Do you ever I'm freak good... people out then? <laughs> He's laughing again, by the way, everybody. Uh, yeah. No, dude. Like, here's the thing. I'm not nasty. I'm not cruel. Mm. I'm not personal in my... I don't mm. personally attack people. And so because of that, because I think it's wrong to do that, even if I'm here trying to defend myself or defend my honor or mm. fight for my basic needs or do something, anything, I'm not going to fight dirty. I'm not going to be personal. I'm not going to be like cool. So because of that, oh, and I'm not going to do ad hominem, like, like drastic character. I'm a substance guy. So because of that, if I had to advocate for myself, and I mm. have had to do that a lot, I do it um, almost like this, like I'm smiling. Like I'm, smiling. I'm, like, I'm like so intense, but like, no, nah, I'm sticking with the facts. No bullshit here. I'm not making crazy accusations about your, your character. I'm not making sense of a bad person. I'm saying, here's the foot. This is what your behavior is. This is why it's problematic. Like, what the F? Like, what is wrong with you? I'm ethically, all this crazy stuff. So people get freaked out because I'm not like, you fucking bad asshole. I'm not give about that. I don't mm. care. If, like, I'm not gonna, I don't need to waste my time to like abuse people with my words. Just because I could. No, I'm not going to advocate for myself. It's going to be like, yeah, I don't think so. Like, I'm just going to hit you with fact. I'm going to hit you with reality. I'm going to admit when I'm wrong, not make things personal, but keep things intellectual. And people don't know how to handle somebody who's not screaming and yelling and banging on the doors and saying nonsense. 
who they want to call crazy. But they certainly don't know, know how to handle somebody who they want to call crazy who's like, yep, I don't tolerate your conduct. Mm. I don't appreciate how you treated me. I have higher expectations of you. You have responsibilities. You failed. I'm calling you out. I'm holding you accountable. Call me crazy all you want. Facts remain. That actually freaks people out a whole lot more than a wild person running around screaming on the street. And by it, they threatened by it, which contributes to my pseudo-isolation. But really, quite frankly, I'm actually quite happy at the moment in the face of all that I deal with. That makes well, sense. You, you, you do know, right? And I, I'm sure you do, but I, I kind of want to gather your opinion on this. Um, the, the kind of thing that you have been through where, where you've had a complete blockage of life until now you've got this massive eruption that's sort of let loose and maybe that's um, reflected in, uh, in uh, unnormal mannerisms or smiling, what have you. Um, these, these things, th these things... Could... No, I smile because I'm happy. <laughs> uh, well, okay, well, well, well however you think. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, it's funny. Like, you know what you know what I'm yeah. saying, though. You okay, know what I'm trying to put across. Well, of course. Yeah, you know yeah, that yeah. This kind of do thing it, it. Yeah. creates creates savages. It can create murderers. So how do you do? You ever have malicious intent towards a human? Ever? Um, no. In fact, if I think that I do, I I have to do something different. Well, sometimes no, no, no. it's very difficult to realize you think that you do. You're right. And I've had, thank you for clarifying that truth. I've had to work on being careful. And how do, well, why do, why do I, how do I know that you're right? I'll tell you why. When you say this specific thing. The reason why I know you're right is because I went through it. I had to, I, there are, there are some experiences that I, I remember of my behavior where I now know that I didn't have to do certain things that I did. And I had to lower, I've had to work on like ego. What drove me to do certain things? What caused me to act in certain ways? Was it my true self or was I acting from some sort of traumatized, uh, you know, well of, of hurt? Did I think clearly in the situation or not? Did I do the right thing? And I have to be honest with you. I know that I have not always, I've not always walked the path that I'm, I'm trying to walk now. Mm. But I do know now not to do certain things, even if I think of it. And I know to not talk to people when I'm not okay to then alleviate the potentiality of not making a good decision in my words. And I am blessed to, state, to say that there are people in this world who understand like the intensity of like what it means to be like inside my head. There are some people who have been through horrific traumas in this world. Mm. And those are the people who have come to my life, honestly. I'm surrounded by people who know about horrible things. And if I'm surrounded by them, and they're from the past, and they come back, and things happen, or they're new to me, or, or however it works, it's because they have a certain understanding of something that goes beyond whatever incidents occur between people. When a person has a certain particular understanding of how the brain works and how the world react to these extreme kind of experiences and that become manifested in their behaviors. Those people end up finding each other. And usually they'll have some sort of blowouts and stuff because that's the nature of it. But maybe they'll also find a way to understand each other. So because the world finds me so intense and does not know how to deal with the manifestation of what happened to me, I do come across extreme. But thank goodness there are people out there there are some bangs in the background right now. Sorry for the interruption. Because where I live, I can't tell if it's a shot, but that's what you might be hearing. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> because I'm surrounded by people in my life who have been through certain kind of intense things, that I'm able to be known by them so when things happen, things don't burn out. Things don't burn down like they used to, which means that I'm learning how to cope. Do you think you could I'm learning ever... how to cope. Do you think you could ever, ever snap? Do you think there could be that one breaking point that drives you over the limit? Or do you think that's impossible? Well, nothing's impossible. But I would rather... I'd rather die 
they hurt another person. Mm. So that's lovely just, to hear. And that's incredibly that's incredibly powerful to hear from someone who's uh, experienced this kind of thing. But could you could you honestly tell me have you ever sympathized with a murderer? Would could you ever sympathize with a murderer from knowing the trauma you've gone through? And I, I'm not saying that, that you uh, would ever be in that position, by the way. I want to clarify that. Uh, I'm talking about the person who deals with it in all the wrong ways. Could you sympathize with how I am in they that, would get to that yeah. point? I, I know people who have killed people. Okay. And um, I know people who have done all sorts of terrible things. Mm. And I wouldn't use the word sympathize. That's not the, that's not the word I would want to use. I like to see the human being inside people. Mm -hmm. Because there's a reason why people do what they do. And if a person was abused all their life, and then they went out and abused other people, certainly those individuals can't be just running around society abusing other people and killing them and hurting them and harming them and all these things. There has mm -hmm. to be a way to handle that. I'm not saying that drugging them is right or wrong. I'm not saying that locking them away is right or wrong or whatever it is. But I'm, all, I'm acknowledging that that's real, that there are people who are, are dangerous. Mm. Now, what about the people who taught them to be dangerous? Like, at what point do we hold society responsible? At what point do we hold those families and those people responsible? What about the doctors who hurt me? Are they responsible? For my behavior, if I just snap because I can't take it, mm. <laughs> you know, you know the answer is yes. I didn't abuse myself, but but I'm not going to go that route because there's too much beauty in the world. So, do you think whenever blame can be shifted, and this is me trying to get your opinion, I, I'm I'm going to try and avoid wading in on my opinion here. Um, do you think? Uh, when blame can be shifted, somebody then gets a ticket of virtue, i.e. an express pass to heaven because said person had a reason to do it or they were damaged by someone. Or do you think, no, what they did was wrong? I think what's done is done is the past. I think tomorrow is not yet scripted. It's not written. It just is. I think all you can do is be in the moment. I know, but should, could your, would your past give you a, a virtue ticket is the question. If you, have, about it. if you have blame to shift on somebody. I've never thought about it. And also, I, I don't um, like the word blame because... Uh, because I don't want to believe in that. Well, do you like blame your do you blame your doctors? I This is my got your moment there. And I I I I don't want to be chasing got your moments, so um just try and answer no, You're good, you're good. With you're as good. much honesty as possible here. Do you think somebody's past if they have a way of shifting blame onto somebody, do you think that gives them a virtue ticket? No. I think what you do in the moment is what matters. Okay. I think what you do right now is what matters. And there are hundreds of black men in jail in the United States and other men as well, but we have an issue with race in the United States who, when they were young, they committed murder. Mm. And they were sentenced to jail for life. Mm. Okay, we understand it. That's what happened. Yeah. Those men then, upon realizing that they have done something horrific, that they're never going to get out, some mm. of them also decide to make the best of their time on the plan, the situation is they have. Mm. And they go to school on, on, on correspondence, or however they study, and they do college courses, and they become... They earn degrees in law, in counseling, mm. 
and being pastors and all these things. Yeah. Okay. So that's real. And they know they're going to be in jail for the rest of their lives or something they did 30, 40 years ago, maybe, or however long. And they decide, well, at least I'm going to do something good with, with my life. That yeah. happened. That happened for reasons. Those explanations are not, but it happened. I'm responsible. For the most part, they're going to say they're responsible for it, even if they did it on purpose, whatever. But does that mean that's the rest of their life? No. It was the end of their life for whoever died. And now this person's life is over inside a prison for the rest of the years. So is that the end? Or can they then do something good? So what they do often, what's often happened at least, documented as far as I know, is they change their lives knowing they're never going to get out to do good for other people who are there with them. That right there is how you find your, you call it a virtue ticket, to a better way. Because yesterday is over. It's what you do right now. So you do think they can get a virtue ticket? Anybody can find a way to connect with the the spiritual beauty in this world. You just have to choose to be responsible for yourself, to take accountability for your actions, to admit when you're wrong, to Hmm. make amends whenever possible. Here's one thing I can say about me. There's no blood in my hands. And if there is, my door is wide open. If I don't know if I hurt somebody, and I think I've hurt lots of people with my words and actions, and I'm not going to say there's like blood on my hands, like I did some devastating harm. Like, but like still someone's emotions are hurt, or if I did something I shouldn't have done or said something or hurt someone's feelings, that my door is open. Call me. Say, hey, Craig, you might not remember me, or you, don't, you might not know this happened, or you weren't doing well, Craig, because you were drugged, okay, because this happened. But you hurt me. You said these things to me. Are you only whatever? Say, oh my God, I apologize. No matter what the details were, if there's a 0.01% chance that I harmed you and I don't even remember, mm-hmm. even if it's just going to help put this to rest, I say, I, 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 I take responsibility for harming you. If there's a way that we can work out for me to make amends, let's do it. How can we move on so we can both have better lives going forward? I'm truly sorry for whatever I said or did. Thank you for understanding me. I hope to hurt, I hope to validate you and help you heal. Heal with me. How can we move forward? What can I do? Please. I want See, to do what I can. I, I honestly believe. Now, I don't know you. I, 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 this is the first time I've ever met you. Um, but I honestly believe that willingness to apologize may have come from the psychiatric machine. That might, I, I, I don't mean, believe, because I, 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 I know that unnecessarily apologizing for something is very damaging. Mentally, it's incredibly damaging. And one thing when you're considered a crazy person, you're always going to be made to apologize for yourself. Everything. No matter whether it's uh, whatever mental disorder you would have, you, it's always going to be you, the one who has to apologize. You're taught severe politeness. Uh, I think that's very damaging, by the way. Um, and and I, I, I personally, I, I think this is just my opinion. Uh, I think that, that your willingness to apologize has purely come from the psychiatric machine. Well, um, let's first acknowledge that I was barely a person. I was a 14-year-old kid when this, when this began. I'm 46, coming up in May. So majority of my life was being forced into something that, had not, that I didn't want to deal with. Mm-hmm. With that said, and I think I understand a little bit about where you're coming from because... Because there's a prevalency. Prevalency? It's prevalent or it's common that you'll see people talking about online about this apologizing for the behavior, apologizing for the behavior, this apologizing, apologizing. I'm going to tell you something. I'm responsible for whatever I've said and done. But I'm not going to apologize for being human. I'm not going to apologize for being a survivor. I'm not going to apologize for you. If I come across like a like a wild man sometimes, right, and I have a long history of uh, that, I mean, to be honest, 
and lots of people know me in ways that I wish they did. They wish they didn't. Lots of people have experienced me in extreme ways that I wish they had. It's it's fucked up so much. As I've been healing, all these pills like it's been insane, dude. I had brain injury. I could hardly think straight. Like I couldn't. I, I literally was homeless for a year and a half. I, I I've only been housed again since it's going to be May fifth. I've had a home one year. I I was homeless. I lost everything I had, my cat, all my stuff. Like like well, two years ago, right? Like I couldn't think straight. I couldn't work. Crazy shits happen. Like, oh, you know, when you're put in situations that no human being should be in, you're going to do fucked up things. Have I had to do things that I wish I hadn't? Yeah. Am I wrong about some of the things I've done to survive? Yes. Do I have accountability for that? I have to. Does it matter if I did it with intention or not? Does it matter? No. Listen, I have a friend about six months ago. Asked, I live in Mexico, and there's a lot of poor people, and there's no social safety net. If you don't have money, kid dies, you can't pay for the doctor. I had a friend who I was helping out from time to time, and they asked me for help. I went out of my way to help them, but there was an agreement in place. Well, she ripped me off. And I was furious, because I was like, what the fuck? I went out of my way to help you. I thought I could trust you. You're going to take some of that money and do something for me because someone else is, I'm going out of my way to help you and someone else is in need as well. She fucked me. She really did. And I was angry, but I always knew that that wasn't her character. I said to myself, and I said to the person who was assisting me with the translation and other things, I said, this isn't her. Something is up. Well, guess what? As it turns out, that's exactly what was happening. There was a situation where some, her daughter could have died without being able to pay for something, and she just had to be a little deceptive to save her daughter's life. And I knew something was amiss the whole time because it was odd behavior. And so what I did was, once I finally had contact with her many months later, she told me that. I said, I know. Don't do it again that way. If you need something, just tell me. Don't do it that way. I forgive you because I understand that you had no one else to help you, and you know that I was you, and you did what you did because you wanted to save your daughter's life. And she said, I'm so sorry. And I said, okay. And she's one of my good friends now. Why? Because she saved her daughter's life. And I've done things throughout the history of my survival that in some ways may be considered similar. Because I had no choice to. And I am deeply, I'm accountable for that. I have to be. I did what I did. I'm not sorry that I saved my life. Nor should she be sorry that she saved her daughter's life. But she is apologetic because she had to do something dishonest to do that. And because I understand those predicaments, those no-win situations where you don't have a choice other than the choice you have to make, it means that I had to accept that woman's apology because she did what she had to do for the reason she did because I've had to do that as well. So it's not some sort of trained behavior for me. In fact, it's learned street behavior where you know from time to time people do screwed up things because they have to and you just have to deal with it because maybe you've done the same thing to someone else without even realizing it because when you're living on street level life, you're dealing with people on the street all over the place, all over the world by having your needs met, you're going to do things. Things are going to happen. You have to accept it, make it right as able, and move on. Mm. I'm, I'm just uh, conscious of the time, and there's one topic See. which I want to talk with you about. Let's um, do it. And it's quite a broad topic, and I'm going to try and compact it down to something relatively small. Um, okay. But religion. Mm-hmm. You said that you're a former atheist. <laughs> I'm a spiritual man now. Are you are, are you a religious man? No. You're not a religious no. man. Okay. No. But I, I there's a church at the top of the street here. You can go to gorgeous church. In my in my village that I live in. Yeah. In the mountains. And I go there sometimes. Just sit in the pew and um make a prayer. Or to say gratitude. Or to feel peace. Mm-hmm. But I'm not like 
praying to God there, like whatever their religion. I'm not praying to their God. Okay. Just like if I went to, uh, you know, and uh, I traveled the I've been to that. Because yeah, when you're alone sometimes, or you're, mm. you're not around other people, and I spent so much of the past four years in countries where English isn't the language they speak. So sometimes you want to go sit in a, in a place like that. Can I, where, can I try and, sorry, can I just try and articulate that for you? Because I think I know exactly what you're saying, but I, I can see why there would be a, a little mix-up in, in thinking. So I'm assuming you live life as if God were real, but you don't necessarily believe in God. Well, I'll say what people describe as God, I just describe as the universe. Like what, what one person's God is another person's universe. Like one well, that, person's well, that's universe. A, that's an atheist's opinion. God, God is the universe. God created everything through the uh, Big Bang. If if you're if you're saying that, well, I've gone to dozens of church services in the past few years, and everyone knows because I went out of the back in the United States. It was a it's quite beautiful. A, a woman who was in my life. A wonderful person who helped me become the man I am today. She would also want to go to the church. She wanted to go, so I said okay because I'm invested in like my my life. I'm invested in doing good. He said just go. So I went. This, this is a story I've not really told. Uh, I went every week with her on the Sunday morning. It was actually quite quite beautiful, and I sang the prayers out of the book. Now. I don't sit here uh, having conversations with Jesus or Buddha or anything. Mm. Okay. But there's something beautiful to, to sit there with those people. The music, I love the music, the people. I don't care about yeah. the politics, right? Believe what you want. I, I would hear some things I didn't like, but sometimes you don't, sometimes you just keep your mouth shut. You know, because that's what they're believing. You're welcomed. I was treated with an embracement that I never received anywhere else in my life. This church that my friend and I would go to back home in Salem. I lived in Salem, Massachusetts. Now, in the evenings on Wednesdays, they had a Bible study. So you're, you're getting something out of me that I've never really talked about. This is good. They had a, a Bible study. It was, <laughs> I swear to God, Christ-based Bible study, mostly for men who were uh, out of had, had been released from jail. It was like an in-jail like ministry. Okay, mm. cool. yeah. I don't know what it was called, but um, how what was it called? I don't remember. So I started to attend their little meetings. Now, to be honest, every week they had food, so they always had pizza. I had no money, right? So I spent time with them. What ended up happening? What ended up happening? I really loved those guys, and they loved me, and I would pray with them. Now, you know, when it came to certain things, I say, "Yeah, but I'm Jewish." <laughs> I like, <laughs> I like, I like, like, yes, we love you. Jesus is Jewish. It's like, so, like, I don't actually like subscribe to this idea that somebody died for me. But I'm sure he was a cool guy, and like, I'd hang out with him, and probably have a lot of things in common. So, like, thanks for having me here. Cool. And they said, yes, we love you. Jesus loves you. I'm like, cool. Like, yeah. What harm is in that? I got to connect with these men who've, who've, all, who've all done horrible things in their lives and been in jail and they got, they got, they, they chose a spiritual path and they, they did it fear some religious path. Why does it matter? Like, why does it matter what I believe or what I don't believe about specifics when I'm amongst people who want to rise themselves up, who, who, Yes, they say things. I'm like, yeah, no, you made that choice. Jesus didn't do that for you. But if you believe that, more power to you, brother. And I believe that you believe that. And I believe that that's real for you. Because I'm here with you. I see, I see who you became. You're a gorgeous human being. You're the choice to be a, a loving, sweet man, even though you had these horrible things that you did in your past. I'll believe mm. that. And you'll also believe me when I say, well, I'm actually going to believe you when I say, yeah, I don't believe that specifically, but thank God I'm here with you. Then they'll say, well, Jesus loves you. Like, all right, let's have some pizza. It's cool. We're bros. That's, that's what it is. Mm, that's a nice story to end on, actually. Yeah, right now? 
Thank you, brother. That's was a very nice story to end on. No, that was really yeah. a fascinating conversation yeah. for me, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a special person. Because um, I listened to your other uh, podcast. I listened to you speaking uh, to another person in the United States. And I listened to you speaking about personal stuff. Mm. And I was like, okay, this kid is like smart. He's, I don't mean to call you kid. Like, I'm a kid too. Like, this, this is a <laughs> punk rock break. This guy's smart. He's English or British. Yeah, he's, Britain, UK. Yeah, UK. I've been there recently. Mm. And um, he's going to, like, you're very, um, you take no crap. Believe me, we need more people in the world who take no crap. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much, man. Yeah, rock on. That's lovely so, to hear, man. And, and I thank you for, I'm, how do I say this? I'm proud of you. Like, look at you. It, it, however you became the way you are, everyone in the world, I want you to know, James, thank you. Respect. Thank you very much. It was really lovely to hear. Can we, can we end on uh, the Nietzsche quote you taught me at the beginning of the, uh, the interview? Yes, but I also want to make sure that um, we let everyone know about my books. Oh, okay, of that? course. Sorry, let's, let's do promotion for the books. I'll put something in at the beginning as well for you. Yeah, I'm the author of the Better Days workbook. It's in English, Dutch, French, Thai, Tagalog, soon to be Swedish, Finnish, Spanish, soon to be Portuguese, and others. Damn, Please look me up. Man. My new book's called, tentatively, tentatively titled, The Craig Lewis Guide to Surviving the Impossible. I don't have a really good functioning website right now, Email me at punksinrecovery at gmail, P-U-N-X dot I-N dot recovery at gmail. You can call me on WhatsApp, 52-777-188-5400. And for people who speak Spanish, cinco dos, triple siete, uno ocho ocho, cinco cuatro zero zero. Yeah, that's what's up. Thank you. Lovely, man. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on. It was a pleasure. Nietzsche. Nietzsche. Oh, yes. The Nietzsche quote. Nietzsche. Do you remember? He who has a why will find almost any how. Perfect. I'm going to end it there. Peace. Peace.